Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And wow, this was a delightful conversation with a longtime friend of one of the most remarkable athletes in the world, Ashley Gentle. In this episode, Ashley was just so forthcoming with her emotions, the ups and downs of being a professional athlete. It was just absolutely incredible, so insightful. Uh, She shares about the journey from being a a young girl to becoming a woman, uh, the difficulties of that transition. She then goes on to some of the the low times around the Olympics and everything else she had to deal with there and then the high times of obviously winning an event like the Noosa Triathlon eight times out of 10 starts. Just absolutely incredible. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Before we go on, again, I want to thank you all so much for listening. This show just couldn't do it without all of you. I really appreciate you all sharing it. If you are enjoying the show, you really are doing me a huge favor if you can share it on your social platforms. And you can support the show's partners, Athletic Brewing. They've been so wonderful and Athletic Greens. You really can't go wrong with them. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure one moment longer. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Anyone will tell you that I'm someone who loves to have a beer and there's always a beer in the fridge for me and or guests that pop in. But with kids, my work and just my overall health, I I, I can't and I don't drink often. I can't afford to not be on my game and and I simply don't like the foggy feeling I get by drinking alcohol. So I've tried non-alcoholic beers, but I guess I'm a bit of a beer snob because none of them have measured up to a real craft beer experience that I like. But now with Athletic Brewing, I can have a high quality, just flavorful and award-winning craft beer and it's only 50 to 70 calories per can and these beers just, they fit into any occasion so I don't have to compromise on my social life or choose between having a great beer and and just keeping my clarity. So go ahead and check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com or you can find them at your local liquor store or bottle shop and I'll let you know, I'll be having one every single episode I record. They're that good. All right, today's guest is one of the most accomplished triathletes in the world. For the better part of 10 years, she's won the world's biggest events, including the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon, uh, several ITU World Series events, none bigger than the grand final in 2018 on home soil on the Gold Coast. It was absolutely an incredible race. She's won eight Noosa Triathlon victories from 10 starts. And and personally, I think the Noosa Triathlon Multisport Week is the greatest week of triathlon on the planet. I just absolutely love it. And to win that race eight times, oh man, I'm envious of that. That's absolutely incredible. Add to those titles, she's won a world junior championship. She's finished second in the I2 World Series in 2017, been to multiple Olympics, has won multiple 70.3s, and she's only 30 years of age. I'm also a little biased. I've been a massive fan of hers, not only for her athletic achievements, but also just the person she is. And, and we've been friends for many years and I'm, I'm truly very excited that she's able to join me. So welcome and thank you for joining on The Greg Bennett Show. Ashley Gentle, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Greg. That was a very nice intro and I just got a little bit nervous. Oh, please don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I build it up too much? We were having a lovely conversation before I hit record, so I hope I haven't ruined it. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, I've listened to a lot of these podcasts, so I think that's why I'm nervous as well. You've had some pretty amazing athletes on here, so yeah, I'll try and do all right. <laughs> yeah, more than amazing athletes. I, I just try and pick great people. Um, and, and, and yes, there are a lot of them are, like you have been my friends for many years, and uh, it's a great way to just have a conversation with remarkable people that happen to be my friends. So I, I feel very 
privilege that you've, you know, got up this morning, two days, three days, is it, post-winning Noosa again for the eighth time? Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, two days after. Yeah. So it's not, it's not too early. It's all good. So I've recovered all right. So, um, yeah, very happy to be here. So thank you. Well, well, massive congrats again for winning Noosa eight times from 10 starts with the other two being second places. I mean, what is it about Noosa? I think you would understand this too, Greg. It's just such an amazing place and it just is a place that kind of makes me happy. Mm. You know, driving back in there this year, last year was unfortunately cancelled due to COVID and like I was just so excited and I just felt so at ease and I felt at home. And I think that um, I think that helps with performance too when you can be really comfortable and you can be in a good you know, space mentally. And I think that for some reason when I go to Noosa, I just feel that. And um, it's such an amazing community event. There's so many, there's thousands upon thousands of people that join in for the festival. So I just love being a part of it. It's an incredible week and, and vibe, isn't it? I mean, it's, that, yeah. you know, you have the swim races and the, the bike races and the run races, and then you have all the special breakfasts and you have all, there's just so many just events. And like you said, it's, for Australians, it's somewhat the season opener. You know, it's a almost like summer's finally here. And yep. Noosa, for people that don't know, is one of Australia's sort of premier tourist holiday destinations, beautiful beaches, um, amazing coffee shops and restaurants and, and incredible resorts you can stay at. So it really is a very special place. Um, and if you want to have, you know, a holiday triathlon combination, I really don't know if you can do much better than Noosa. You'd have to agree, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, we actually went up there a few weeks ago um, just for like a little mini holiday and it was probably the, one of the first times we'd been there without the triathlon actually happening and I was like, why do we not come up here more often? It was absolutely amazing and it really got me excited for the triathlon week actually. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great place. Yeah, I mean, Laura and I called it home from 2000. I used to go up and do camps in the 90s before the aquatic centre was even built. You used to have to go out to Tawantan to the little pool out the back of Tawantan. Yeah, right. And uh, I used to just love coming up from Sydney and I'd drive the what – what, back then it was about 14 hours to drive up and spend a couple of weeks training and then drive home. And then Laura and I moved there in 2000 and just every every summer we would stay there for, for most of our careers. And I think it was a little bit of a place where we could start our season in a – comfortable place with good friends, coffee shops, and like I said, great restaurants in a low-key kind of environment before we have to sort of hit the world stage. Um, but I am surprised with you and, and Josh, your partner, that you guys haven't sort of moved up there, but you're on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane? Where are you? Yeah, so I grew up on the Gold Coast, so it's a bit further, but we're both actually living in Brisbane now together. So, mm -hmm. And we've been living here since two, the end of 2018. Um, I was on the road heaps in 2019 before I came back home midway. Um, and then I guess COVID happened the, the year after where, you know, there's you haven't really been allowed to travel much. So I think that I'll definitely go up there a bit more, go up there for some camps myself. I think it's a great place. And um, we're, yeah, we're only about an hour 40 from Noosa now. So it's, yeah, really convenient. Perfect, perfect. And how did Josh go on the weekend? I think, did I see he was eighth, I think? Yeah, got into the top 10. Yeah. Um, he was pretty happy. You know, he probably ran the best he's ever run at Noosa in the 32s for 10K. So he was, he was happy with that. It was a very fast race. Um, lots of great short course talent coming up and focusing on that race because there hasn't been a, a much for like the young 
the young crew in Australia that have been unable to travel. Um, so a lot of them really targeted Noosa Try. It was great to have those those guys there. And yeah, it was a bit of a mix of short course, long course, as it always is in Noosa. Mm. And yeah, so it was a great race. And Luke Willian got his first win in the male race. So um, I think everyone just loved it, loved being back. It was incredibly close racing, actually. And Luke, went, I think he ran like a, a very low 30-minute after a 54-minute bike, um, I, I did sort of have a quick glance at the results. I was like, whoa, they really are moving. And there, there was three of them within five, six seconds at the finish too, I think. Yeah, definitely. And there was a few few coming from behind that ran under 30, which is oh. so quick for Noosa Try. Um, it's, yeah. yeah, so there's definitely some talent coming up. So I think it's really exciting. That is fantastic. Is it all talent or is it the bouncy shoes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully, hopefully just the talent, right? <laughs> of course, of course. And, and that would be because of the COVID restrictions in Australia, would they all be Queenslanders or are there, were out-of-state out people able to get up to the race? So New South Wales and Victoria couldn't, but there was a few from um, South Australia, Western Australia, and I'm not sure if that was – Jake didn't go, so no Tasmanians. But, yeah, unfortunately, um, no New South Welshmen or Victorians. They're not allowed in until December or something. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty group, good group of people. And yeah. I think a lot of people that um, in Australia that decided not to go overseas, a lot of them have been in Queensland anyway because they just knew that if there was any races happening, it was more likely going mm -hmm. to happen in Queensland. So mm -hmm. a lot of people have actually kind of chosen to base up here for – a lot of this year anyway. So if there's an opportunity that comes up, um, they can be a part of it, which is obviously a pretty good decision. Yeah, that was a great idea. Well, that's a, it just goes to show the amount of talent that is in that neck of the woods anyway, whether the, you know, the, the amount of athletes that come out of the state of Queensland is really quite incredible. It does come from all states when you do think of Jake down in Tasmania and that, but we, uh, Australian triathlon, there's always been probably about close to 50% of the athletes all come from Queensland. So it's no surprise that you're seeing that kind of talent. Um, what I want to do is um, get to know you a little bit more. And then once we kind of have an idea of Ashley Gentle and who her background, I, I kind of want to dive into sort of the events and, uh, you know, this past year and, and look at a little bit more of your career. And what I'd like to do, actually, and I'm moving this around on several of the episodes, but I have a bit of fun with it, is I want to throw 15 fun rapid fire questions at you to start. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> I'm not good at this stuff, but yeah, I'll oh, give it a go. come on, you're not that hard, <laughs> and you can always say pass. All right. Okay. When I say rapid fire, it's really just 15 questions. Okay. All right, here we go. What is your favourite family vacation? Morton Island. And what is that? An island off of Port of Brisbane. Is that where you, is that where you guys go for driving? Camping. Yeah, camping, camping every year. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen you guys on on your Instagrams, always having a good time out there. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. What are you currently watching on Netflix or whatever your streaming device is? Oh, this is embarrassing. I'm rerunning um, <laughs> Harry Potter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I got caught out. <laughs> I got caught out. I don't think so. Isn't it one of the most watched movies of all time? I don't think. Yeah, pretty much. But I watched them about, I don't know, 15 years ago. Give it another go. <laughs> but you're having a bit of a fun going back through it again. I love it. All yeah. right. Um, first car you owned? Honda Civic. Was it new or used? Used. Whatever could get me to training, to A to B, so my, my poor parents didn't have to anymore. <laughs> I love it. All right, here's a really important question, the most important question of today. How many episodes of The Greg Bennett Show have you listened to? Oh, heaps. 
Oh yeah, what I don't a know. Great I couldn't count. No, yeah, I've actually listened to like most of them, to be honest. So, what? How many? However many you've done. Oh, that's very sweet. All right. Um, two most used apps on your phone. Oh, probably the weather app and Instagram. The weather app. Oh, I yeah. love that. Like I'm really conscious of like as I'm a homeowner now, and I'm really conscious like of the rain. We've got like a nice lawn and gardens and. We were in drought for like two years in Australia here um, before, like obviously we had those horrific bushfires and stuff. So I feel really invested in um, in the weather. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me sound a bit old, doesn't it? But it's yeah. fantastic. But it's, <laughs> I mean, in Australia, for people that don't know, it's basically either drought or flooding. There's nothing yeah. really in between. I mean, was it 2011 we had the great floods, mm-hmm. which just took out all of Queensland and New South Wales. And then we've had the bushfires of 20, well, that was the start of 2020 right before. Oh, it was the horrible, COVID. yeah. It was absolutely horrific. And so we yeah. go from either completely wet and drenched to completely dry. So, yes, I, I think that's a fair, fair enough app to have, <laughs> a go-to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Out of 10, how cool would you say you are? Oh, five. Oh, come on. I don't know. I'm not that cool. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll start at an eight and I think the next few questions will determine whether that number goes up or down. How about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. If you could swap jobs with anyone else, what would it be? Oh, I don't think anything. I'd be an ath- definitely an athlete. Love it. Great something answer. better. Yeah, I think it's a great job to have. All right. Yeah. Which would you rather do? Wash dishes, mow the lawn? Clean the bathroom or vacuum the house? Probably mow the lawn. Yeah. You've got that big, big garden now. You've got actually, not at it. the moment, though, because we actually have had some rain and um, <laughs> saw that on the radar before I did on my weather app. <laughs> um, and it's actually, it would be really hard to mow. So I think I'll give Josh that job actually for now. <laughs> so maybe, okay, I'll vac- maybe I'll vacuum. I'll go inside. Vacuum the house. All right. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. First job. Or have you always been a triathlete? Oh, this is actually really embarrassing. Yeah, I've I've never done anything else. That's all right. Nor is Nicholas Spirigal, my wife Laura Bennett. We both. We, so I think it's like when you when you jump into the sport young, you you kind of that's what you do, right? I mean, well, yeah. My brothers hate me because my brothers had you know jobs at you know Subway or Hungry Jacks or like those mm-hmm. shitty takeaway places um just to earn money when you're young and going through uni or whatever yeah they they're not happy that I never had to do that but I what I did though I did um like fun runs when I was younger and I just loved them and at that time there was you know a bit of prize money if you were you know, to get on the podium or win. So I just like made a habit of doing these fun runs, which I absolutely wanted. I, I would do them anyway, whether it was prize money or not. And I think that helped me get my first little paychecks. And then I kind of, guess, started triathlon and built up from there. So See, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. That is a job. That is a job. I mean, that's okay, so fun went... running. That was my first that's job. Fun running was your first job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah. isn't it, isn't it amazing when you, you're young and you're going to do something anyway, and then somebody hands you a check or cash or whatever and and says well done and you're like wow 500 bucks or I don't whatever it is and you're like yeah ah I remember for me it was out in um I was working at Sizzler okay so I had a couple of jobs but I was a bit like one of those what do you call it I think you framed it as shitty job (laughs) like no I shouldn't say that but like as a as a young person when you're at school or at uni and you're trying to fit in something anything's going to be bad right because you just like have no time but you need to earn money (laughs) 
That's exactly what I was doing. I would work on Thursday lunch and Sunday nights at Sizzler and everything else. And then I remember going out to do this uh, Australian duathlon cup out in Bankstown. And I, I happened to win it. And I was a bit of a surprise. I didn't think I wouldn't. I didn't. It was $1,500 cash. And I remember thinking, well, that's 10 weeks work at Sizzler. Yeah. This whole sporting thing is not a bad gig if I can, you know, it, it definitely inspires you to work a little bit harder, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it was probably similar for me. I think it was um, there was some one or two hundred dollars at some of the Century Co fun runs I used to do, and then mm. I, but I think the first one was maybe like a bridge to Brisbane, and I'm actually doing that this weekend, which is exciting. It's going to be about twelve years since I did my first one, but I think I got second or third, and I won like yeah a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, and I had no idea, and I got called up, and I got handed this like big check thing, and I was like, "Are you for real?" I was like, "That's crazy," and I, my mum actually reminded me of that because I am doing it this weekend. She's like, "Remember how shocked we were?" And it's true. Like you're like, "Oh wow, this is that's kind of cool that you can um, yeah. do something that you love and get some money for it, especially being such a young person with hardly a dollar to your name." How, how old were you when you sort of started getting a few of those little fun run checks coming in? Oh. I probably was doing the, the Century Cove ones when I was 13, 14, and then Bridge to Brisbane a bit older than that, um, it would have been. But, yeah, there was a bit around, and, you know, I was obviously not travelling overseas or anything that young, so um, I think I would just enter whatever came up because I, because I loved it. And so, okay, um, we're, we're going to probably rewind the clock in a little bit, but we are on this. Did, is there anybody else in your family that was running? Were you joining your brothers? or you, uh, who, No. Who no, they, they were avid cricket players. Um, as you can imagine in Australia, I was like the, I was the fieldsman or the wicket keeper for them when I was younger. Um, <laughs> that was, that was very boring. Um, I'd usually only want to join in with them when, if I, if I could have a bat on the, the driveway game of cricket, but, um, no, they didn't run, but I guess neither did my parents. I think my mum started running a bit after that for an enjo- for enjoyment, but I don't really know how I how I started that, I guess, through school. Isn't it amazing how your body just, it's almost like it's telling you, you've got some ability over here, so go go do it. I love that. All right, we're we're still on rapid fire. All right, pick one. Mixed relay triathlon, sprint distance triathlon, Olympic distance draft legal, Olympic distance non-drafting, or Ironman 70.3. What's your favourite? Probably Olympic distance non-drafting. Probably a bit biased at the moment because I just came off Noosa, but I, I do love that that distance and event yeah i would have picked that one for you too i wish we had the big series back in the u.s here for you with the i know know, i just missed that i know you were just on the tail end of it yeah i know we everybody listening in in the u.s we need a big non-drafting olympic distance series or anywhere in the world to be honest i still think it's the best distance in the world i'm with you that's my yeah all right what dinner could you prepare what's your favorite dinner you could prepare to be honest, like nothing fancy, just something that's nutritious and easy to cook after a big day of training. So it's usually something, I don't know, a good source of protein and some veggies and carbs. I can't say anything um, too special that I do, but yeah, something okay. simple and quick. Yep. As, as an athlete, you're tired at the end of the day. It's just, it's about fueling more than exactly. anything else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're having a fueling dinner party. Who are you mm. going to invite, non-family, not including Josh? Who would you invite? I would invite, well, oh, I'm going to detour from this question a bit, but 
I'm supposed to actually be getting married in, in two weeks and that's been postponed, but, um, which is a bit sad, but so my, and I've got four bridesmaids and we're all like all over the world at the moment. So I would invite them because I definitely miss them and I haven't seen a couple of them in about two years. So oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I really miss them and they haven't been able to come home to Australia. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty desperate to see some of those girls. So do we have a postponed date or is it just kind of wait and see at the moment? Um, I, we just delayed it a whole year just so like we can be assured that um, there'll be no restrictions at our wedding because we want to have yeah. we have a big old party. Of course. There's nothing yeah. better. Everybody listening, I'm one of the greatest people at weddings, by the way. I love a good wedding. You just asked, Laura. I love the <laughs> romanticism. I love the parties, the whole, uh, the whole box and dice, not just the party. I want the whole bit. And I think you and Josh together, that'll be an amazing amazing yeah. wedding so i'm glad you, you've you postponed it so you can really celebrate it right um yeah be fantastic and congrats for you guys getting engaged by the way i'm not sure uh I, i've said that to you personally but yeah fantastic. Well, it was about um it was about two weeks before the world shut down in in 2020 so we got to spend some good old quality time after we got engaged so it was a true <laughs> test straight off the bat <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm like okay if we can survive covid and the lockdown together we, we should be good to go for the rest of exactly. our life exactly yeah we passed the test with flying colors so we're all good wedding's on <laughs> that's great I, laura asked me that question the other day what three guests would you invite and she kind of you know, I'm used to asking the questions and she kind of put me on the spot. And then I really gave it a bit of thought. And so I decided, I went The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, The Queen, and Warren Buffett. So I, yeah. I thought that was a pretty good three. Yeah, I just I just don't know. Like, I think I would just invite my friends. Well, obviously, I haven't <laughs> seen them in so long, but... Like I'm not super outgoing and sometimes I get a bit shy or Josh tells me I kind of hide behind him sometimes. So I think that I'd be too awkward. Like I think that, well, first of all, I'd be too embarrassed to ask anyone else and then I would just be probably a bit shy. So just going <laughs> to my friends is a safe choice for me, I think. Oh, my goodness. The similarities between you and Laura are uncanny. Um, <laughs> that's brilliant. All right, let's keep moving on then. Which decade of music is best? <sighs> I'm not really a music person, to be honest. Is that bad? I don't That's know. That's not bad at all. That's not bad yeah. at all. I know um, every time I seem to listen to one of Josh's Instagrams, he's got some kind of yelling music <laughs> at me. <laughs> well, I do like a lot of Josh's music, but a lot of the stuff which, um, you know, he calls like Ash's music, just stuff which is very calming. It's usually instrumental Definitely no screaming, and it is a version of metal, but it is very, very nice to listen to. So mm. I know a lot of the bands, but like only a few, and I do love that. But yeah, it's very particular. He doesn't get away with hardcore death metal when I'm around. That's for sure. <laughs> is that what it's called? There you uh, go, hardcore yeah. death metal. Yeah. All right. Should pineapple be allowed on pizza? Oh, poor. Sometimes, but definitely wouldn't be my go-to. No. Okay, where is somewhere you haven't been you'd like to go? I would like to go to oh, anywhere at the moment. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I, I don't want to get too picky because we haven't been allowed to go anywhere lately. Yeah, um, okay, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> anywhere, anywhere outside Australia. All right, all right. Greatest movie of all time. Final question. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to probably pass on that too. You're going to pass on the greatest movie? You're watching know. Harry Potter right like now. I'm, yeah, I know. Okay, I'll just say Harry Potter then because I have such a bad memory. Like, I can't really remember what I watch. I have to get Josh to, like, you know, give me a little short 
you know, a snippet of what it was about and then it like jogs my memory and I can remember what I watched. You know, it's, it's really, just called it's athlete really fatigue, I'm telling you. When yeah, you well, I've got that 100% of the time yeah. that it's stopped. Laura, Laura and I, people would always ask us those kind of questions. We'd be like, duh, what? And yeah. a lot of it was because we were just so tired all the time and and everything's a blur. But when, yeah. we, when we stopped for that year or two before having kids, because everything goes back to being a blur again when you have kids, but all of a sudden I, I could remember things, I could have conversation without kind of forgetting what I was saying mid-sentence. It was, it was, <laughs> it was so refreshing. Yeah. Um, I don't well, know. After, yeah. after all of that, I'm going to move you up to a 9.5 oh, because great. your first job was fun running at the age of 13 <laughs> and, I think that, and you knew that that was a good way to earn a paycheck. I think that was outstanding. I so don't I really know if I want to advertise that fact though. I don't know. Why not? It was there and it was available and you yeah, knew it yeah. You could have gone and done another job. You could have done yeah. babysitting and a whole heap of things, but you you used your your brains and your physical ability to go make it elsewhere. Own okay. it. I think you should own it. All right. Okay. Own it. <laughs> Let's rewind the clock. <laughs> We've kind of already done this with you, but I like to sort of ask, when did you find endurance sports? And I think we've kind of answered that, but you can probably give me a little bit more of when did you then find triathlon because you were fun running at a young age you were probably doing a bunch of other sports tell us about that journey into the sport of triathlon I started like in sport in general I I played pretty much anything I was always um out on the street with my brothers and we we grew up in like a cul-de-sac and there was oh so many families with young kids the same age so to be honest, like I, we were very, very active. Yeah, school holidays was probably quite easy for my parents because we would just stay outside all day <laughs> until, I don't know, we had to get fed or something. And, yes, yeah, so I, I then got into a lot of team sports. I played netball for, for a long time and I also played touch football. Um, and then I guess I was running throughout school as well, just, you know, as you know, you get into um, cross-country and athletics and, and because I was quite active I kind of just put my hand up for everything I was you know I'd do a run the 800 in primary school and then go throw a shot put like I just kind of <laughs> did whatever I could so um, and everyone knew I was always keen and excited for it so I kind of just got thrown into everything um, which I loved I was running in school um, I made I actually made my first rep team in touch before anything else um I really, really did like touch football and, yeah, made um, the state team one year. So I kind of found it hard to let the team sports go because I really did love them. But, you know, I started running with Jenny Alcorn, actually. I was only training about two or three times a week with um, Brian Chapman, which a lot of people from the Gold Coast and Brisbane would know. But then a family friend who was training with Jenny Alcorn in the Surface Paradise Triathlon Squad. So he's like, you know, come and join come and join us with some of her run sessions. So I did that and, you know, everyone else was cycling and swimming and I was just turning up for, for the runs and I was kind of just like, I don't know, maybe I felt like I was missing out um, because I was only doing one of the three sports. So I think it just happened quite naturally where I was like, oh, I want to give that a go too. So I was about 14 years old, um, learnt to swim with Jenny and then got on a bike like, yeah, with, you know, being out in the street and playing outside for, for most of my life. I grew up, you know, riding myself around to places on a old Huffy mountain bike, no doubt. But mm -hmm. um, first time on a road bike when I joined Jenny's squad to do triathlon and obviously um, swimming, which is, which is fairly late, I guess, probably for an Australian. I never did like swim squad when I was younger. I would have done like a 
learn to swim, um, which is pretty much a prerequisite for any Australian living on, you know, the coast. It's something everyone just does, but I hadn't touched the water is not something that I kept pursuing, which kind of regret now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I went through the same thing. Oh, gosh, what a journey. <laughs> no, but no, it was awesome. I, I swam with Jenny and then, yeah, cycling and running and all of a sudden I was a triathlete, so about 14 years old. I, I hear your pain because I, I think I was about the same. I started triathlon when I was about 14, 15, and, and the swimming for the rest of my life, for the next 30 years as an athlete, it was honestly feeling like I was playing catch-up. I was yeah. like, ah. You know, every now and then you'd have that cracker, and you, but I never owned it, you know, and it's, I think you're a bit the same where you'll, you'll have these swims that have you in the first pack right there, but then it's kind of like, well, where did it go? Hang yeah. on, I'm not going to get it back in. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yeah. And just for listeners, Jenny Alcorn, a big shout out. She was yeah. a professional triathlete herself, but has basically become one of the, I don't, the most important people in the world of the sport of triathlon in Australia, in particularly on the Gold Coast, breeding new bread into the sport, coaching. Just, I think there's a lot of people like Jenny around the world. I put a Barry Shepley and, and, and these are the people that, the sport is grown upon. Um, so big shout out to Jenny. Uh, great yeah. to have her in your corner to start your career. I think it's just yeah. absolutely fantastic. And so yeah. at what point did you realize, okay, I'm, I'm not a bad triathlete here. Maybe, you know, I've got some talent and ability and some strengths. Yeah. So I think I did my first, um, like I'd been obviously training for just a short time for triathlon. And then I did um, the Rabina triathlon, which is still going around part of the QTS series, um, which they have on the Gold Coast in Brisbane. And I just jumped into that. That was my first ever triathlon. And I had a borrowed bike. And it's really funny because I had gears that were like on the top tube. I'm like, that's pretty crazy. Um, a bit of a safety risk, I think. I was trying to learn to ride a bike with gears on the top tube, which is kind of a bit of a flashback. But yeah, I think that I did well enough. I don't know exactly what I came, but I, I did well enough to actually progress progress to like regional. So my first triathlon must have been like some sort of qualification event. I probably didn't know it at the time, but then, um, yeah, I guess I got selected into regionals and then obviously I had a bit of time to train in between then. And then I made like the state team and I think I actually made nationals like that first year I did triathlon since then, like I've never stopped, which is kind of crazy to say out loud to you now. Cause it's like, wow, that's actually when it started. And it just, I guess, um, I guess I had some pretty good success as a junior. So mm. I think that it was just easy for me to, to keep going because um, obviously I must have had a good time in that first triathlon. I can't really remember it, but obviously loved it enough to kind of, you know, it was a no-brainer to kind of, you know, cut netball out pretty much straight away and then eventually cut uh, touch football out. And then, yeah, being a runner or anything like that didn't even cross my mind, I don't think. It was just like, oh, this sport of triathlon is pretty cool. If you enjoy a beer but want to keep your clarity, stay in your game, then you have to try Athletic Brewing. I was just simply blown away by how good they taste. Just a true craft beer. Go check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com. Your progress into the sport was quite remarkable and it was probably because you'd built up that ability in the running and were used to competing and, and, and that kind of thing. But 
you know, by the age of how old were you? Seventeen at your your junior first junior world championships or sixteen? Sixteen, yeah. Sixteen, and you came. You got silver there behind Holly Avil from from Great Britain, um, yeah. who was in the sport for a little while there. But I actually had a look down the list earlier, and and, and names like Paula Finley was uh, sixth in that race. Um, yeah. I mean, sixteen. Uh, we're talking under twenties, right? I mean, yeah. What was that feeling like to have that kind of a performance? Was that your first time away representing Australia? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it was um, It was my first time being outside Australia or New Zealand. I had never gone anywhere else in my life. We'd done a, one family holiday in New Zealand, but I, all I knew was Australia or New Zealand. So mm. obviously as a 16-year-old girl, um, you know, I got into the junior worlds team I just remember it was just crazy. I was on the team with Emma Jackson, actually, who's still racing, and mm-hmm. Courtney Dutton, who's um, now a mum, and I, I saw her up on the weekend too. And it was just um, amazing to be in, in that team. And obviously, like, Emma Snowsell was in that team. I remember climbing up on the lamppost in Hamburg because the crowds were insane, and I remember watching her run, like, 32 minutes or something for that 10K, and it just widened my eyes to what this sport is and it I got really early exposure to the best in the world and obviously Australia was extremely successful so I was obviously surrounded by a lot of success and a lot of high performing athletes in my own country but then also I saw what it was like in Hamburg Germany like what a first world (laughs) champion experience pretty much the best in the world to have so I, I see myself as extremely fortunate to have those experiences so early on in my career and I just absolutely love them. Mm. Really fond memories of those times in my career for sure, even though I didn't even really think it was a career at that point. It took me a while to actually think like, oh, I can do this as a profession. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, to look back that that the Emma Snowsill uh, and, and what she was doing, but I, I did look at that, you know, you ran a 1630 for the 5K as a 16-year-old off the bike in Hamburg. I mean, you, you, you're you definitely somebody that had either applied yourself very early or there was some natural physical talent, probably a combination of both, and then the opportunity of, of learning your trade under somebody like a, a Jenny Alcon because that's quite an incredible performance at, at 16. And then you went on to come second again in, in the juniors in Vancouver, uh, the following year, so it wasn't mm-hmm. you know it was kind of like backing it up, saying that wasn't a that wasn't a fluke. Yeah. And then you went on yeah. to finally have your junior world title two years later. So you, you skipped yeah. over 09. What? Okay, we're going to have to focus on 09 now. What happened in two thousand and nine? So two thousand and nine was like <laughs> a super difficult year actually, and it was um it's probably good to talk about because you know a lot of young women probably find themselves at this point of their life when they're growing up. But yeah, I had. Like I had those two great races in my first two junior worlds and then the next year I didn't make the junior worlds team. It was pretty competitive. We had a great bunch of girls. The Victorian team was extremely strong, especially it was and us Queenslanders. And yeah, I didn't make the cut. And um, obviously after getting two silver medals as a 16 and 17 year old, um, that was pretty difficult. But um, I think I was also like, I was a bit of a late bloomer, to be honest. And I was kind of growing into my body and mm-hmm. I really struggled with that um, mm-hmm. and not not that I did I didn't do anything I just was just growing up but it was just I think my body needed that time 
to yeah grow into itself so to speak mm-hmm. I don't really know the, the best words to describe it but there was not many under 23 girls that year so I actually probably regrettably like raced up into under 23s that year um, as a very young junior athlete yeah I, I think I got lapped out or I didn't finish it was it was a pretty horrible experience um, mm-hmm. and it was a bit of a late decision to like step up and be a part of that world's team because it was on the Gold Coast as well. So obviously it was very easy um, for us Australians to, to do that if we wanted to. And then, yeah, it was really difficult because I guess becoming a woman and I was, yeah, definitely not performing how I had the previous two years. But coming back in 2010 and um, obviously racing back down into my category as a junior was great. And to have that win it and become a junior world champion was, I think that was a massive moment for me Um, in Budapest and when I was like I think that was probably the turning point where I thought yeah I I think maybe I could do this Um, and I want to try and be I want to try and be like Emma Snow so I want to try and be like Emma Moffat and Felicity Abram, Annabelle Luxford and all those Australian women that I had been you know a part of the the team um, as a junior with. And you didn't just win that world title you you won by over a minute over a sprint distance. It was really quite in a performance. It was a side note, bringing it back to me. Um, that was my last uh, world championship. And did you have conditions like we had where it was so torrential rain that we couldn't even see the manholes, the potholes and everything else on the course? Or what was the conditions? Um, that no, race? it wasn't too bad. I think maybe it was a bit patchy like it had been raining Um but no, we, it wasn't torrential rain. We were the very last event. I think we were like 4 or 5 p.m. on the last event. And I think it had kind of cleared a little bit by the time we got out there. So we were a bit luckier than you guys. I know. I remember it was it was pretty um, up and down that week. But mm. I also actually remember being – you were there in Vancouver too, weren't you? I was in Vancouver. Yeah. But it was one of those ones I was wanting to hide at the finish as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was one of those. I had to finish top three to get Australia their third spot for the Olympic Games, oh, which gosh. I happen to be the third person on the Australian team for that Olympic Games. And yeah. um, they put a bit of pressure on um, one of the other young Australians who had a better ranking than all of us. And yeah. and I even put my hand on his shoulder before and I said, look, if, if I can't podium, I don't go to the Olympic. You, you don't stress yourself, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Don't worry about it. And I got off the bike and was running with Javier Gomez at the front and I just had a really good race at um, Beta Breakers. You know, it was a big running race over here and had run a, a, a my best time there. And yeah. so, but I'm ready to go. But Vancouver was freezing. Oh, and- it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And I absolutely have never had my piriformis so across my glutes cramped yeah. on both sides to the point I actually physically couldn't run and at yeah. around the mile two kilometers really early in the run so I wasn't really a part of it ever I was just like whoa and I don't know where I finished up we could probably go look it up but it's not worth yeah, it yeah that race though was out of this world wasn't it I honestly finished that and I'm like I don't think I'll ever be as cold as that in my life <laughs> and we were the first event as a side note as a ju- as the junior women and mm. they didn't realize and this is a bit of a funny story, but they didn't realise that the far swim boys, while we were waiting to, you know, race, had started drifting out in the ocean. So I can't really remember, but I think if you look up our junior world's results, we were in the we were in that bloody seven degree water for about over twenty minutes. We swam like fifteen hundred meters. That, that so was the worst. Here we go. Let me see what the difference. They are. 
Double oh, the there distances. you are. Yeah, yeah. You guys were all like 17, 16. Oh, like okay. 16 See, it's like dramatic. It's been, um, it's more dramatic in my mind, but it seemed like Oh, no, like for a 750 swim, that's not exactly, that's yeah. a long swim. It's very long. Yeah. And I remember they brought the boys in um, before the junior boys started because they realized that the anchor or whatever had snapped and it was just drifting out. It was just such a horrible, um, horrible horribly cold water. Now, before we go on, I, I want to touch on what you were talking about because I think it was important to share this is that transition from being a girl and becoming a woman. Yeah. I took my little three-year-old to gymnastics, you know, open gymnastics, and I was talking to one of the teachers there and I said, you know, what's it like for, for the girls, you know, staying on in gymnastics? And she said they call it in Jan, they actually have a term for it, something yeah. about getting through the age of 15. Mm-hmm. And they said because what happened, you know, it's that – they're very strong and powerful girls and then that strength to weight ratio, it changes, the body changes yeah. and they said that if you can make it through that 15, 16, it's amazing how you'll go on and you'll enjoy the sport for a lot longer. Uh, but yeah. that, that transition period, she was saying, is, is really a challenge, especially for athletes that have been good already, like yourself. You'd already had a couple of you know seconds in the world and yeah, that really – must have been pretty tough for you looking looking back that that year of going hang on what's really going on yeah definitely looking back and like in the big scheme of things you know you're still a junior like it's okay you look back at that and be like oh you know don't stress about it but obviously as an athlete and a junior athlete you do care because you care about you know performing well and doing your very best um and it doesn't in your mind it's like of course this still matters um And I think that, yeah, any advice I'd probably give when I look back at that is to a lot of junior athletes, especially the girls, is like, don't, don't worry if there's a year or two where you're just, you don't feel comfortable in your own skin or you don't feel the same Mm. as you did the year before. It's like, just make sure you take that time and not to push through it. And I'm so glad that I did. I, I just took the time. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say I was fat, but I had, you know, like the baby, the baby fat and just looked, I just was a little bit different because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was growing up, I was starting to get boobs, like just little things that, um, it's just so different. You just feel really different and it's just, you have to be patient because I think that if you really try and fight your body in that period, it's really difficult to come back from that. And you've just got to accept, accept the fact that your body needs energy, you're turning into a woman and, just and just let it be because then yeah you can definitely go on to have a really great career with you know um, your body functioning as it should and I think that's really important for women to be able to have a body that's um, yeah functioning well and it helps you perform at definitely the, the level that um, you can be capable of. Now l- let's just quickly move on to when you went all in now because was it at that moment of winning the world championships in Budapest because that following year 2011 12 you started to really have some big wins was that a major part of your career of when you went all in yeah I definitely think so I think it was yeah that turning point where um you know I was at the the higher end I was you know I was probably 18 or 9 or turning 19 so I was that the oldest age in the junior category and I feel like yeah I it was probably the turning point where I think, yeah, let, like let's try and do this as a profession. I, I actually, it's probably the time where I thought that it was possible. Yeah, so I guess it was pretty quick in the sense that I think I did my first World Series race where, oh gosh, it was actually the the London 
Olympic test event. Great, great World Series to do through right <laughs> in the deep end real quick. Everyone trying to qualify for the Olympic Games the next year. But that was an amazing experience. And I, I think I came eighth or ninth in that race. So I definitely probably shocked myself with that result. And I think that, um, yeah, I ended up getting quite a lot of top tens in that first year or two on the circuit and um yeah such fond memories I, I remember racing Laura I always loved Laura she was so nice and um I know I know that you should probably most people you know she obviously was an amazing athlete but I have a lot of respect for the people that you know were just great humans too so always um a big fan of Laura and yeah race racing some pretty amazing women that was super accomplished and I just loved being a part of it um, love mm. taking every opportunity to be on the World Series start list and really relished um, relished in that. That's awesome. I, I, I remember when we first sort of met and you you sort of saying you were a big fan of Laura and I passed that on to her and I think that made her day because I, I think she was also – she was looking at you and truly respected you as an athlete and, and when I think you were saying, oh, yeah, I really I, – I think Laura's amazing. I think Laura was like, oh, I think she stood a foot taller when, when she got that from you. But um, <laughs> Yeah, so going along the way then, I mean, your journey, you end up making uh, the 2016 Olympic Games. You you have some big wins along the way, like we said at the top of the show during this whole journey. It, it hasn't all been smooth sailing. I mean, what have been some of the the moments that you've had, the lows? Have there been moments where you felt like giving it, up, giving it away? Oh, yeah. There's been multiple, probably more so in the last few years, to be honest, but definitely that was some really hard times when I was um, younger and developing, but I feel like you're very, very robust when younger. You feel like you can take on the world, right? Nothing phases mm. you too bad. But uh, there was a few times where, you know, I was early 20s and, you know, like my coach, you know, wasn't allowed. It was like a conflict of interest and wasn't allowed to coach me. Um, and it was a week or so before I went to Europe into Aix-le-Bain in, in France, which you would know, Greg. And mm -hmm. it was um, it was really scary because I kind of had to get coached by someone who I, I know didn't really want to coach me because they were coaching like a, I guess, um, another athlete of who I was competing against. And But I kind of just had to get coached by them because I was a Queenslander. And, you know, it was just a, a really tough period because I found myself like um, 20 or 21 and, and trying to find the ropes and, um, it was actually right before that London debut, actually. Um, I didn't really have a coach, and but I was in the system and I was over in France, like feeling a bit lost. You know, some coaches were like, no, nope, she's not ready. Don't let her start. Other coaches were like, give her a go. Like, we've got a spot. Just see what happens. And I think it ended up coming down to me and I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. I, You know, <laughs> that sounds fun it was a really tough time because I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And, and that was out of my control. Like I had a great coach and I loved the squad, but it kind of fell apart around me. Um, and I couldn't do anything about it, especially as a 20, 20 year old, um, don't get much say in these things. So that's one time where I was very grateful for Emma Moffat. Um, I had done a bit of training with her because we were both on the Gold Coast and we used to swim with each other at Dennis Cottrell squad. And she was coached, but maybe by Sean Stevens as well at that time, or maybe maybe Brad. I'm not sure, but it was really cool because um, you know my coach at the time, before we had to split, was kind of like you know go go run with Moffy at that track session, or go to Narang Hills and do that. And he'd 
you just tell me and I was able to go and run train with one of the best athletes in the entire world at the mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to have to have that experience and when I was a bit lost overseas she knew me a little bit from those those runs and swims and yeah she took me under her wing and she was like you know just just do this I'm doing this today and she would give me her session and and I would join in with her when you know I didn't have a program or I or I didn't know what I was doing and um, those small moments in time where I look back I'm like yeah that was really hard but I had someone who was the best in the world and they said to me, this is what I'm doing here. Feel free and, and join join in with me mm. and went to bat for me and, and basically said, this isn't good enough. We've got this girl trying to um, make the step up to the, the World Series circuit and she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't have someone here telling her what to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. And I think that I appreciate that more when I'm talking about it now and I'm looking back on it because... There's definitely been some huge challenges, but I, I can't thank enough those people, especially the athletes in the Australian team, yeah, that didn't have to, but definitely supported me when they saw that I needed it. There's a really good point there where the, the, the mentoring is almost the most valuable thing I think you can have as a young athlete. You know, you can have the coaches and, and they can be your mentors too, but when it's the other athletes that have gone through it, the senior athletes that can then mentor the youth. I mean, it's it's a really important role to play. And, you know, just touching on Emma, Emma Moffat there is one of the all-time greats. I mean, multiple world champion, both when it was a series and a one-day uh, winner of the high V triathlon when it was big money racing. Um, she's incredible athlete in her own right. Yeah. And to have her, like you said, in your corner and, and batting for you, that's, that's really fantastic. You qualified for the Olympics. Let's move forward a little bit to qualifying 2016 Rio Olympics. Firstly, qualifying, what was that like? Yeah, so I think um, speaking of Emma Moffat, I think she got the automatic qualifier the year before and mm-hmm. I had been getting those like kind of top 10s in the the World Series circuit um, and doing making Worlds teams. Obviously, we always want to show that you're kind of uh, – racing consistently but um you know it's by definitely no means a a qualification to the olympics so i guess um at the start of 216 i think i got actually my first world series podium the year before in 215 but i wasn't picked on the team and there was two more spots left and in the first two races of 2016 which I believe were Yokohama and Abu Dhabi World Series races. I got two silver medals. Mm-hmm. I believe Helen Jenkins maybe won Abu Dhabi, if my memory serves correct, and maybe Gwen or someone won Yokohama for the – oh, yeah, Jody won uh, Abu Dhabi and I don't know who won Hamburg, probably Gwen for the – I don't know, <laughs> however many wins she had. Well, Gwen won Yokohama, that's right. She was incredible, um, yeah. Yeah, she was winning. She was on that winning streak, yeah. Yeah, so I guess like that was no that wasn't an automatic qualifier because Emma Moffat already had it from the year before, but I feel like I guess the next best thing really for myself was to get two like my two silver medals that year in in 2016, I guess were a pretty good indication and yeah, I finally got the yeah, qualification call um yeah, sometime sometime that year after those few races in 2016. Was that a, a really special moment for you and your family getting that call? Yeah, definitely. It was, it was pretty amazing. I like, I feel like I did everything that I could to make the team, but it's still very surreal when you get that call. And 
yeah, on the team, obviously, with Emma Moffat and Erin Denshin, two athletes who had been hugely successful and athletes I'd looked up to. So um, I was, yeah, I was very excited and, yeah, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a great time. And the Olympics itself, how was that as an experience, your first yeah. time? It was, it was really cool to be able to prepare for that. Like when I got on the ground there, it was, it was pretty stressful. Um, I know a few people probably know this, but yeah, my, all my baggage and my bike went missing. What? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I was actually, I was training with Cliff English at the time. So we'd done a camp in um, Arizona and for some, it got miss. it was missing. And, a, and the thing that saved it, we had the whole AOC Olympic committee looking for it. They were just lost. <laughs> And Twitter actually helped me find it, funnily enough. And But when my bike arrived, it was pretty badly damaged, I think. Um, it had been pretty badly mishandled on the journey. So, Where did it go? It. Do you find out where it went? It's yeah, not on so, its own trip. No, apparently it was stuck in Miami airport somewhere. And there was like marks on my bike bag that looked like tyre marks. So I think it had been dropped at some point. <laughs> then driven over. Then driven over. So it was, um, that was, I guess, fairly horrific because, you know, I was pretty, still pretty young and obviously like you can get stressed pretty quickly in an Olympic environment anyway. And yeah, when my bike bag finally turned up, I'd missed the first course familiarisation, but I had a chance to do the second one, but obviously when I opened my bike bag up and I saw it was broken, I was like, I just remember <sighs> bursting into tears and Erin and Emma just looking at me going, oh, like obviously they didn't know what to say to make it better, but um, it was very like emotional, but I feel like I handled it as well as I could, but, um, and by no means like as any excuse, like it was just, it just added a layer of stress. Um, mm. So I definitely feel like I, I was ready for anything that came after that in a major championship race because I feel like I dealt with a bit of stress before Rio. But I think I came out of the water in that race, I don't know, 40 or so seconds out from the leader. And obviously that big pack, you know, with the two main players, Nicholas Spirig and Gwen, um, it just had so much momentum. So we just basically lost too much time and, and wasn't able to really be in the race. But I still had a, an amazing experience and definitely learnt so much. Yeah, absolutely loved it. You're often the one having to chase or maybe Nicholas Briggs with you sometimes. Are you getting much other help there? Because, or does everybody look to you and go, you know how to time trial a 40K, we're just going <laughs> to sit on your wheel? Do you ever get much help? I guess through that period of my career, um, not really, no. There was some times where um, I was lucky enough to be in the pack with Nicholas Spirig, um, probably, you know, maybe between that 2.14 and 2.17 kind of time. And, um, oh, she is, she is incredible. She is something else on the bike. I just remember on, in Abu Dhabi that one year, I think it was 2.16. And unfortunately, she actually crashed right at the end and she broke her hand. That's how she broke her hand before mm-hmm. the Olympic Games in 2.16. I don't think I've always been very smart because I've always wanted to try and contribute and I've wanted to time trial and I've had other coaches and sometimes kind of give me a hint like, you know, that's always not the best thing to do. But a lot of the times I've had to because I haven't swum fast enough and that's on me. So I'm like, well, no, the race is up there and I've got to get there. So yeah, there's a lot of times where, yeah, I feel like it's definitely been a pretty solo effort or just if you're with Nicholas Spirig, 
I will do anything. I will put myself inside out to be able to come around her wheel and contribute and it might absolutely kill me, but I'll try and do it. And um, I've been lucky when I've been able to team up with someone like her or even Andrew Hewitt, a few times I've been with her and that she's a, she's a good, good person to have with you. Um, yeah, there's a few, few people who, who you know will pull, pull through, but there was many, many years there where, you know, you turn to someone, you're like, yep, no, <laughs> they're not going to do anything even if they want to. <laughs> I'm on my own. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I had Nicola on the, on the show last week. Actually, it came out today, the day we were recording, but by the time this comes out last, last week. And uh, she's incredible because of her, the five Olympics she's been to and every one of the Olympic champions that I spoke to that she all mentioned that Nicola played a part in that Olympics that they were all because of her strength on that bike and the run that she really does affect the race. Um, it, it, she's a remarkable athlete, isn't she? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've had that, you've had that chance to be able to race alongside her and, and yeah. probably learn from her in, in the way she races. And now you're the one that's probably going to be the, the one that the other younger, younger athletes are looking at to do. Okay. I just got to get onto Ashley's will. <laughs> no, yeah. She, trying- yeah. Nicola's, Nicola's definitely a powerhouse and I've got a, a lot of respect for people who can turn up to those one day events at the Olympics and perform like she has done all mm. those times. Like that is inc- incredible to get it right once is amazing to get it done as many times she has um and obviously have two two medals there along the way and obviously one being a gold it's it's definitely something else yeah no incredible um all right so we 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 touched on some of the lows in your career is there any one event or a couple events that really you stand out and go okay that was the the biggest moment of my career to date one easy one to say is is 2018 grand final Mm. in on the Mm. gold coast but before that, like I guess in 2017, I had um, I had a really good year in the sense that I was very consistent on the World Series circuit, and I, I think my worst of, worst result was maybe a seventh or something in in Leeds, and I remember being like super disappointed about it, and I was like, look back now, and I'm like, God, that was a bit like ridiculous. I think you should be a bit happier about that. But no, I was super consistent and I got my first ever World Series win um, in a year that Flora Duffy just won everything. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty huge moment. But to be honest, there's probably some moments like we've been talking about, like in Stockholm um, in 2017, I had a pretty bad swim. It was super choppy and I was with Andrew Hewitt and right before the event, actually, my it was pretty windy and my bike fell off the rack because it was two transitions and we were using one of those old school racks and my bike mm-hmm. fell off and... Someone called me over and they're like, your derailleur is in your front wheel. You, you can't ride this. So we had to call a bike mechanic from the other transition. So I was panicking, but I had to go to the start line. So I was swimming not knowing if my bike was actually fixed by the time I got to it. And <laughs> I got to my bike in transition one in that race. I picked it up, jumped on. I'm like, well, I hope this is all good to go. And it was. Thankfully, the mechanic came and he replaced something on my rear derailleur or put it back and yeah, it was in working order and I was very happy about that. And I remember just, we were in like a fairly big group, but it was just Andrew Hewitt and I just pretty much swapping off for the entire 40K and it's a pretty difficult course in Stockholm. And then it was a a pretty tough 10K run and we were getting all the splits that you don't want to get in a race. Every lap, it was just more time 
Flora Duffy, Jess Learmonth and Katie Seferis was off the front in a group of three. There was another pack with some very good athletes like Kirsten Casper, Joe Brown and a heap of others. And then there was us and just Andrew Hewitt and I just time trialling the whole day. And um, every time, just bad splits. Oh, gosh, this is getting worse and worse and worse. But we just did not give up. We did not, for one second, for one lap, I was just like all in. And it paid off because I ended up running probably one of probably one of my proudest and best 10K runs on that course. And I ran up into second place. No, into third place. I just didn't catch Jess Learmonth and um, Flora won as she, as she was. She was winning. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I look back at that race and, yeah, it was a third place. And a lot of people wouldn't think, oh, that was a rate that was – you know, wasn't anything like super special, but I look back at that and I'm like, I'm really proud of the fact that the the way that I raced it, I was getting all, it was stressful. My bike had broken and, but I think I can walk away from something like that and be like, I did not give up, even though I was getting such negative time splits literally Mm -hmm. the whole time. And I think it's those moments where as an athlete, yeah, you can walk away and be like, I guess I defied the odds in a sense that I still put together a race. It wasn't a complete triathlon where I'm like, yep, swam, bike and ran exactly how I wanted to, but I still kept my head in the game enough to earn myself a bronze medal that day. Um, and those days I think are the, the ones you can be really proud of when you, when you look back at them. It's amazing, isn't it? Because it's not always about the wins. Obviously you remember your wins and they're special, but when you can have those days where you – you feel like you got everything out of yourself and it was the best I could do. I, I have several of them that I often, I, you know, I go, yeah, I, I didn't win, but boy, that was a, I got a lot out of myself. And uh, looking at that rate, I just brought it up. You ran a 33.27 in Stockholm, which for anybody that knows, the run there is not flat. It's not an easy run. Yeah. Um, it was an incredible, the fastest run split by well over a minute. So it was one of those where you're like, okay, Let's just see how fast I can run. You know, I'm two yeah. minutes down or whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go, go, go. And you ran all the way up onto that bronze medal. So I can imagine why that one was special. Um, yeah. Congrats. That was huge. Um, let's recap 2021, shall we? Yeah. Let's start with firstly coming out of a COVID year, 2020. Australians haven't been able to leave at all to go and do any races anywhere. Your racing and training prep is limited. When were you put on the actual Olympic team? Uh, so the end of uh, end of last year, both Jake and I got um, the first two automatic spots. We knew first, we knew for a while that we were on the team, yeah. And then so going over to Tokyo, had you been able to get any races in? Um, not many. Um, there was a couple of opportunities at the start of the year domestically. And, you know, I was hoping to be able to do Yokohama, but... Um, we still had hotel quarantine in place and I didn't have a big squad. I didn't have like a, a place that I felt like I could go to and prepare properly and adequately. So I was always going to come back to Australia. At that point in time, it was all pretty bad. You know, a usual eight or nine hour trip from mm. Tokyo was going to be like two days and then two weeks in a hotel where you couldn't be guaranteed you'd have a hotel with an open window. Um, I wouldn't be able to swim for about you know, with including the travel, two and a half weeks, and it was a few months, a couple of months before the game. So it was just a something. Mm. And it was my one of my only chances to get vaccinated because our rollout was very slow and um, we were getting special treatment, I guess, to be able to get 
vaccinated early and if you kind of didn't take that up it was a bit bit like too bad so mm. unfortunately it nothing really that I've planned has gone to plan the last few years but it, it, it was what it was and um, I definitely still felt like I was in a good place heading into the games. Yeah, I mean, you you were in a good headspace going in. You you were definitely fit. We don't have to dissect it all, but it wasn't it wasn't the day that you'd wanted. The actual day, it ended up being a lot cooler, and a, a little sort of tropical storm came through and, and cooled it right down. Was that yeah. kind of a bit of a surprise? Uh, it was a pretty big surprise because, well, I guess in some aspects it shouldn't have been because you know it's kind of typhoon season a bit there. It just gets so mm. hot. And we'd actually done a camp a couple of years before, before the test event, and we got locked down because of a typhoon that actually came in a training camp. So I guess I knew that it could have been a possibility, but didn't really think about it too much. Everyone was just so, so obsessed with training about for the heat, which obviously I did too. I was prepared for a hot race. And most of us thought the race was actually going to get put back, pushed back two days because um, of the hurricane or typhoon that was coming. But I guess it got downgraded and then we got told the day before or whatever that it wouldn't get changed, that we're going to stay on the same race day and, and race in those conditions. Um, so, yeah, it was unexpected, but, you know, it's nothing that really affected me too much in, in the sense that, you know, everyone has to race the same same conditions and, um, yeah, fair play. Yeah, and what was the Australian team kind of like, the environment? You know, had you guys been able to get together before getting to Tokyo? Had you guys had 10 camps and, and that kind of thing? What was the what was the yeah. atmosphere like? Was it fun? Was it? There was a bit in Cairns that we did, but, um, you know, people were – we'd be on this podcast for hours if I tried to explain to all the listeners from around the world what the rules have been like this year in the sense since Delta's come in the sense of you know interstate people trying to run away from lockdowns and you're getting backdated and if you've been in that place in a when it gets backdated you have to isolate or quarantine it's like actual nightmare so it's been quite limited the amount of time that as a team we've been able to spend together 2020 was a breeze when there was nothing on there was pretty much no COVID here whatsoever so you could pretty much do anything after the initial big lockdown, obviously. So, yeah, it was it was fairly limited. But in, like, the Australian HQ in general, I feel like we're very lucky as Australians. We usually have, like, an amazing headquarters and they made the games really, the experience really great. Um, we didn't have to go to the big dining hall often and mingle with people because they'd set up their own little grab-and-go station with lots of good nutrition options and food. And it was amazing. Obviously, like, the triathlon program didn't do well our swimming program can we just ride the high of the swimming program so that's what i did after our game I the was swimming like, and the rowing the rowers did very well too i think yeah. we had a couple of golds there and no so, i mean yeah. australia and the olympics as a whole did incredibly well yeah. and, but i know yeah. i know triathlon australia is getting a bit of a flack oh. you know for the overall performances yeah. and a lot of that's just because we set the expectations high and whatever i mean it is what it is um but i was curious you know you you were in the thick of it and and it's it's i'm sure you're tired of it it's probably one of those things can't i just move on <laughs> you know you didn't have yeah. the race you wanted yeah. um and it gets to the point look i don't have answers for everything and sometimes the body just doesn't show up and yeah. that's what makes the nicholas spirigs of the world and the alistair brownleys of the world truly stand out and exactly. the rest of us are going yeah <laughs> no exactly and you know it was just weird. Like there was just nothing to give and it was just, and it's heartbreaking because for me, it's, I just, 
it's not a representation of who I am as an athlete because I couldn't even fight like I wanted to fight. And mm. that's the main thing that makes me upset about it. It's not, you know, obviously I wanted to do well. I wanted to be fighting for a medal. But the fact that I couldn't even fight mm. on that day is the thing that it's just not who I am. But my body mm. just would not let me. Because I guess like, you know, one of some of my, my best and fondest memories is those days where I've been able to fight for every position, not give up and just lay it all out there, go absolutely all in. And that's what I absolutely love about racing. And I love when I can do that. But um, yeah, definitely these last few years, like it's just been a bit more of a struggle. And it's just like, it's hard to process that when, yeah, you just you can't give it um, what you know that you're actually capable of. And exactly, that's why if you're an Olympic champion or you've been able to get up and perform at multiple Olympic Games, you have my full respect because it is something else and it's um, there's a lot of men and women who've been able to do that and I'm like, that is, yeah, it's truly incredible. So we need the Olympics to move to Noosa. <laughs> Next Olympic Games need to yeah. move to the Noosa Triathlon because yeah. that is one that you own. So let's <laughs> let's fast forward. Let's not dwell on on you know obviously an experience that you don't need to keep re- reliving. And I know you've shared that story, and I appreciate you sharing just a little bit of that. But I don't want to have to drag you through it any more than we have. I want to talk about how you were able to turn around what was a pretty rough 18 months, you know, with COVID and the Olympics not being the way you wanted to win your eighth Noosa this past weekend. And this is what I love about sport is you can feel knocked down, you're beaten up and the great athletes know, the great champions know how to get back up and fight again. And that's what you've been able to do. Um, does that feel a little bit, does it feel, did Noosa this year feel extra special for that reason? I think so, yes. And Noosa Try this year really gave me purpose. We had to come back to Australia um, and quarantine for two weeks. And, you know, I was going to continue on after Tokyo and do Edmonton and Montreal, the two Canadian, well, the the grand final and and the World Series. But mentally, I just know, you know, no matter, I I just couldn't do it. And Mm -hmm. maybe if if I was younger, I would have, but it was scary also because at that point in time, there was no guarantee of when I could return to Australia. And the thought of me getting stuck away from my family and Josh when I was like so vulnerable and I could, you know, there was pe- there's people on that team now that are still overseas that can't get home and their flights have been cancelled. And if that was me, I would have like been in a very bad place. So I decided to come home um, because I was guaranteed a spot on the charter flight that Australia took back to Australia and yeah. I was in the Northern Territory and we were in these little demountables. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, it was so funny. It was unbelievable. So you pretty much could do no exercise because they were tiny and it was 37 degrees every day. So like you couldn't have like exercise equipment. You couldn't hire a treadmill like you can in the, you know, the hotel quarantine where you can exercise if you wanted to get in a treadmill or a rowing machine or something. So it was like a forced break. I was so grateful for the second week of the Olympics in my first week of quarantine because I just watched Olympics for a whole week and it kind of got me through and Australia was just killing it. So I was just like the ultimate fangirl in quarantine, but it was really difficult. I definitely had a rough first few days um, trying to process my result. And obviously, like you said, 
I didn't read any of the backlash. I tried to stay off it, but it's hard to ignore when you're quarantining with a bunch of other Australians <laughs> that tell mm. you about it. I'm happy to admit I'm quite an emotional person and I knew that like reading that and investing in it would really bring me like I was already at a pretty bad low and I know that if I read that stuff it would just make me feel worse about my stuff self like I'd already read messages that you know someone wrote to me saying that I was a waste of taxpayers money and just like the that kind of backlash doesn't help and I look I'm out of that now and I see that there's, you know, a couple of people here and there that might tell you those things, but there is the biggest amount of support from obviously my family and friends, um, but also the greater Australian community and, and around the world as well that will love you for when you are winning a World Series race, when, you, when you're consistently podiuming or you've won Noosa, but they also support you when you are at rock bottom. And those are the people that I want to surround myself with. And mm. that's what I choose to invest my time in, those people that will love me either way or support me either way. So that definitely helped once I got out because I did find it really difficult. And Noosa Trial was on the horizon and I was just like, if I didn't have that, I don't know where I'd be at the moment. It definitely helped me get up every day, get back into a routine, get back to training and just feel good about myself again and mm. definitely grateful that the, the event could happen this year. That was really well said. It, it is interesting how the the negatives, the the trolls, whatever you want to call them, there, there's not many of them, but it's amazing how much they cut. You know, it's even when I started this podcast and some of the negative, I had a couple of negative ones. I had so many people have been just so wonderful with their words and so supportive. But as an athlete, as a podcast host, whatever, you are vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there in the world and you're trying to do something amazing. Yeah. And you do get the people that feel quite comfortable trying to tear you down. And, and they're normally the ones that have never done anything. Uh, I did read a quote the other day that people that have achieved or done great things are always the ones that basically are pulling you up. They want you to join them. They, they, they're, they're pulling. The people yeah. who've never done anything are the ones that are trying to bring you down and grab you. And and, and it's and you got to try and have that kind of perspective, don't you, of going, well, hang on, what are their issues that they've got on in their own lives? You yeah. Know, because yeah. they're taking yeah. it out on me and that, <laughs> that's not right. Well, there's one thing that, and I've found it now, and I'll share it if you don't mind, that um, mm. Sebastian Keenler wrote to me after after the individual race, after obviously I was very disappointed, and he wrote to, my, he wrote to me and said, I always tell myself I choose to live a life full of emotions, often not the nice ones, but sometimes great ones. I know, even if I sometimes doubt my decision, I would never want to live a life where there was no risk or of upset. I hope you can look at it the same way. Good luck mm -hmm. for the relay. Mm -hmm. And I look at that, um, Sebastian, who's a, who's a white, very wise person and, and a great athlete, and, and it's just like, yeah, we, <laughs> we choose to do this sport, and we do. We live a life full of emotions. And you know what? It's been difficult, but it is so worth it. I would not do anything else in my life because I absolutely love the sport of triathlon. I'm definitely not quitting and I want to be back out there and I want to try and be a better version of myself. And mm. I think that's what so many athletes, no matter whether you're a professional or an, you're an amateur, it doesn't matter. But I think that's why so many people love sport and that's why so many people love triathlon as well. Oh, that was fantastically said. Brilliant. I, I just think 
the athletes, we were talking sort of before we started recording and um, I'm in a position now where I might be starting to employ people and, uh, and as I put athletes at the top of the list because of their resiliency, because of their adaptability, because they've been through so many big lows and then they climb back up and hit the highs again and then they go back down and hit a low again and it's kind of, they're very adaptive and resilient people and you're showing that. I think this 2021 it's just been you've had the low of the low and and the the naysayers and the negative. You come home, you rebuild yourself, surround yourself with the right people, build your team up again, and yeah. bang, deliver a performance like you did it was just absolutely outstanding. I have so many other questions here, but I actually want to sort of start to wind up and and just conclude with sort of two final questions, if I could. And that one is, what is one tip you have for people on how to optimize their lives? From my experience, especially lately, I would always, I don't know, choose things that um, make you happy and that you're passionate about and just look after yourself. I think that um, so many people have realized that too, like the last two years is that there's so much more to life than, you know, what they were living before. Mm -hmm. And so many people have realized the things that should be important. And that's usually looking after yourself, looking after your mind, looking after your body and thinking about the ones that you love rather than those things that when you're in a COVID environment or you're locked down, you realize that they don't matter. So I don't know. I think, yeah, getting, eating good food, getting a good sleep and choosing things that make you happy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess probably you'll always f- find the right way if you're doing that because you'll do something that, that you love. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if you heard on earlier podcasts when my little three-year-old was bitten by a rattlesnake and, um, worst week of our lives, right? Just absolutely worst week. And then a few weeks later, I was meant to be flying out to announce the Collins Cup in Samarin, Slovakia. And on the Friday, I'm like, I better grab my passport. I'm like, oh, it expired 10 months ago. You know, the whole COVID fatigue, right? I haven't traveled, haven't done anything. "Ah." But I wasn't, it was like a moment of like, ah. And then I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I guess I'm not going. Like having your daughter bitten by a rattlesnake, suddenly you, in the past, that would have mattered. I would have been really upset about it, a bit like yeah. you having your bike run over by a, a loss before the Olympics. But suddenly perspective kicks in and you kind of go, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, so I, I get what you're saying with the whole COVID experience. It's kind of, you know, understanding what's truly important is looking after your health and your mind and your body. Yeah. I love that one. Now, you did answer this one kind of earlier but I'm going to ask it again and see if we get a different response. If you could sit and have coffee with any living person, who would it be and why? <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be the same. And it's probably <laughs> going to be, I'll nail it down to two of them because two of them I haven't seen in, in two years. So mm. Jesse and Ra, if you, if you listen to this, and I'm sure you would because they are the most amazing supportive friends. They will listen to it because they know that, yeah, it's supporting me. That's how amazing they are. So mm. uh, that one's in the UK and one's in America. So I'm definitely very excited to see them and we'll have many, many coffees and other things <laughs> when I see them. <laughs> All right, Ash, this is absolutely fantastic. You speak so well. You, you speak from the heart and we've learned a lot from you in this in this episode. It's almost like I need to have you back to really dissect your <laughs> day in the life of type thing, but you, you, you really have spoken beautifully. Um, what's next for you? That's a big question. I don't mm. know. I'm trying to decide really. I'm trying to decide what my career looks like now. Um, mm. Obviously, I've got a couple of options and 
it's like at the moment, like in terms of just local rate, I've got a couple of local races I can still do. And then I really need to make sure I sit down and, and find out which direction I want to take my career. Perfect. Well, you've got a good team around you with, with Josh. Who's, who's coaching you right now? Another big question, trying to, trying to find oh, one of them. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll talk off air. We'll see if we can come up with someone. Yeah, <laughs> please, please help. <laughs> <laughs> all right, coaches, if you're out there listening, there's one of the, the greater, greatest athletes in the world of triathlon wanting to have a bit of guidance. So, all right, we'll put that out there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Greg. <laughs> All right, Ash, thanks so much for your time and just, just sharing your journey and, and, and all of that knowledge that you've dropped on us today. It's just been absolutely fantastic. So thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome and uh, all the very best to Josh. Give him a big hug for me. Yes. And everybody, thanks for listening. Um, you can find all the show notes, timestamps, links and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.